0: You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is not only to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversation about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. This sermon comes from our 2022 sermon series, Digital Babylon, Developing Resilient Faith in Exile. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. So here's a question for you. I'm sure you've asked a million times at some point. What do you want to be when you grow up? Right? We've asked that a million times to the kids in our lives and and their answers can can range across a whole lot of things right some of their answers are very practical you know i want to grow up and i want to be a doctor or i want to be a teacher or a police oh excuse me a police officer so it can range from the practical to the statistically unlikely i want to be an astronaut or i want to play baseball for the phillies or i want to be the president of the united states <laughs> I don't want that job either. I don't want that job either. So they can be practical. They can be statistically unlikely. Sometimes, though, they're, even, they're just flat-out fanciful, right? When I grow up, I want to be a princess or a superhero or a dragon tamer, right? And those answers are just on Tuesday. You ask them again on Wednesday, you might get a completely different list of answers, and because there's something about it, there's something in us, even from a very young age, that knows we're made to do something meaningful with our lives, right? Something that matters. Because we're all asking the question why am I here? Why am I here? Maybe for some of us, why am I still here? As we continue our series, Digital Babylon, we're going to continue to look at the, today we're going to look at the ideas of work and vocation and calling and see what it is about resilient disciples and their understanding of calling that sets them apart. Remember, we're looking at the data, right, from the young adults who have grown up in the church who can be sorted into four different categories. The prodigals, the nomads, The churchgoers and the resilient disciples. Those resilient disciples being the 10% of people who are raised in the church, who are serious about their personal faith and the way that it interacts meaningfully and missionally with the world around them. We're looking at the characteristics of these resilient disciples to see what we can learn about being and forming that kind of resilient disciples, follower of Jesus who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live vibrant lives in the spirit. The data that was gathered and then distilled down uh, into these five practices that we've been looking at that mark resilient disciples. We've already looked at intimacy with Jesus, and cultural discernment, and meaningful intergenerational relationships. Today, we're going to talk about vocational discipleship. And here is how we're going to define vocational discipleship. Knowing and living God's calling, especially in the arena of work, and right-sizing our ambitions to God's purposes. So we're talking about work. Everybody's favorite topic on Sunday morning when you're supposed to be off from work, right? Yeah. But I think a lot of times, work gets a bad rap, right? We think of work as something we have to do. It's an obligation or a chore. Maybe we even sometimes think of it as a curse. When we take that view, though, we're, we're not taking God's starting point. We're looking at the world then through a post-fall lens, a lens that sees everything through the lens of fallen creation. Maybe you remember in Genesis 3, which picks up right after uh, the, the chapter that Will read for us today, uh, when Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent, and they eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, God said to Adam, uh, beginning in verse 17, to Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return returned to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Side note to all you men out there, it's not a great idea to quote Genesis three seventeen the next time your, life, your wife asks why you didn't listen uh, to something she told you, or so I've heard. Because you listen to the voice of your wife. I get a big eye roll anytime I say that. Uh, Anyway, one of the results of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God was that work got harder, right? It wasn't that the work itself was the curse, but the work got hard. I want to take a few minutes and just and talk through some of the scripture that leads up to uh, our scripture reading today. Right. So in Genesis one, if you go back in your your mental catalog, um, or if you are unfamiliar, you can go back and read it later today. Uh, in Genesis one, we're told that humanity, both male and female, were made in God's image. And they were made to rule over the creation, to steward it, to take care of it, to extend God's order in the world. And they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then in Genesis 2, which we read today, right? It's the second account of God's creating the man and the woman. And we hear about how God shaped the man from the dust of the earth. and, And he made woman from the man's side because it wasn't good for people to be alone. And in verse 15, we read that the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Before we ever got to the fall and the curse, before we ever get to the the tree and the fruit, while creation was still what God called very good, God put the man into the garden to work it and to tend it. Work was a part of God's good creation. It's part of the way that we as people bear the image of God. An author by the name of Sky Jathani has written on connecting our idea of faith with our idea of vocation. Vocation being our calling, what we're supposed to do in the world. And he believes that God's design for work can be broken down into three categories of influence. He says God's work is always about one of these three things, creating beauty, cultivating abundance, and generating order. This is what God is doing in the world. Interestingly, the research shows that the kinds of careers that teens and young adults are most drawn to these days could be put into three categories. Creative careers, entrepreneurial careers, and science-oriented careers. Sound familiar? Creating beauty, cultivating abundance, and generating order. They're using the same, or they're using different language to talk about the same kinds of categories, the same kind of things. The things that young people are drawn to do with their lives are the same kind of things that God is doing in the world. You see, work wasn't a consequence of the fall. It's part of how we bear the image of God. It wasn't the punishment that came when we chose to disobey. The punishment was the frustration, the diminished results that come from our work as a result of the fall. So, if work isn't a bad thing, if it is, in fact, a good thing, Hear that, all you teenagers who don't want to do chores at home? Work's a good thing. How do we think about it? How do we think about work? See, the arena of work is where we discover our calling and we find meaning and purpose in our lives. Interestingly, most teenagers these days say that their top goals in life are to complete their education, They want to get out of school, they want to land a great paying job where they can make a difference. They want their lives to matter. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that 26%, just over a quarter of teenagers think that they will probably or definitely be famous by the time they turn 25, They want their lives to matter. But before we go blaming the young people for that kind of a mindset or for having those kind of hopes, the research also shows us that the goals of Christian parents and grandparents, it's not so different. In fact, they're largely indistinguishable from those of non-Christian parents. They want their kids to get a good education and get a good paying job and settle in and have stability. Our young people aren't coming up with these ideas on their own. So friends, if we are going to raise resilient young disciples, we must become resilient older disciples. Older, not old. Don't yell at me. And if we're going to do that, there's three things that are going to be important to that. We need a biblical view of work because it's crucial as we disciple the younger generation. We've got to develop a biblical view of work, but it's just as as essential for building the faith in us as older generations as well. So we need to... Uh, yeah, we need to build a biblical view of work. We also need to show them an engaging vision of vocation and equip them for a life of kingdom-centered work. And we're going to talk about this idea of vocation a little bit more. And then the third thing is, though, we've got to redefine what success looks like and ground that definition in what Jesus says about success. Because at least as far as I can remember, the verse doesn't say, seek first a nice cushy job. And it doesn't say, seek first a six-figure salary. And it doesn't say, seek first a corner office. No. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all the rest will be added to you. That's the rest of what you need, by the way, not necessarily what you want. So to get to a biblical view of work, we have to start with the idea that every job, every profession, everything we do matters to God. There's this myth that exists within the culture of digital Babylon, and and I'd even say within most of our churches, that there's this divide between what is sacred, the things that matter to God, and what's secular, things God doesn't really care about. And if we're honest, I think we kind of prefer it that way. We want the God stuff to fit into a nice little box that we can pull out when we want to feel spiritual, but we don't really want it messing with the rest of our lives. If you were with us this time, Last year, you remember so big Jesus, the little Jesus who just pull out of our pocket when we need him. You see, we want to be able to say, God can have my church time this time from, you know, 1030 to 1130. Or maybe if we're feeling really good from nine o'clock, we'll come to Sunday school, nine o'clock to 1130. God can have my church time maybe even a few minutes of Bible reading and prayer time throughout the week. But my work time? My entertainment time? My free time? God doesn't need to mess with that. Or so we want to believe. But it's absolutely untrue. See, God is after our whole hearts, Whole life transformation is what God wants to work in us. And for that to happen, it's got to extend into the area of our work. Because there is no sacred, secular divide. And you don't have to go into full-time professional ministry in order to serve God in your work. Some people are called to that. Pastors, missionaries, you know, those kind of things. But, but those are not the only vocational callings that God gives to us. Our calling, as Frederick Buechner put it, is the place where our, our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Right? There's all kinds of needs in the world around us. And each of us have, have certain things where that just stir our hearts and the place where those things meet is often where God is calling us. You see, God made each one of us unique and distinct. You have your own personality and you have your own preferences and desires, your own talents and interests. God made you, you, and he loves who you are. And he wants to take who you are and make you wholly set apart for him and empower you to live into the fullness of what he's called you to. We're all called by God. In a general sense, we're all called to Christ, but we're also called in a more specific sense to live out that call in our individual contexts. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us. He equips us to follow those callings, to be faithful servants and witnesses in the areas that God has called us to. And that's going to look as different for each of us as all of our other interests and loves and desires look. You're not all called to be pastors, but I am. And I think that's a pretty good thing, by the way. Because who would I pastor if you all were out there pastor in some other church? But in the same way, I'm not called like Carrie Corbett, who some of you know, to be an elementary school principal. That would not last long before I was in deep trouble. Way too many kids. Way too many kids. But similarly, I'm not called to be an attorney or a mechanic or a scientist. But some of you are. And that's good. That's how it's supposed to be. Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. I'm going to read a few verses here for us. Beginning in verse 4, Paul says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord distributes. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another... Faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Until, to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. We're all made and gifted by God to play a unique role in the kingdom work that God is doing in the world and in our workplaces. And if that's true, we've got to get away from the idea that our lives can be split into a sacred sphere and a secular sphere. We've got to begin to live in the reality that God wants to work in and through the entirety of our lives. This means that if we're going to be and form resilient disciples, we need to help our young people understand this idea of calling and we need to help them identify what their own unique calling is. Too often in the church in America, we've believed the lies that just some callings are just more sacred than others. Instead of helping young people understand their work in the context of God's kingdom, we watch as people choose their careers and only once they've settled into them and gained some skill in them do we think how can we use those skills to build up the church imagine if we started to speak into people's lives about what we see of who god has made them to be and the gifts we see that god has given to them and help them to see what to help them to see how they can honor god in whatever area of work He's calling them to. Imagine if we could learn to shape the holy imagination of our people, our young people, about how they can participate in God's kingdom through their vocation and redefine what success looks like. But here's the thing. It's not just these young people sitting down here in these front rows We all want our work to matter. We want to know that there's an answer to the question, why am I here? Just think about the difference it would make in your own life, no matter what stage of life you find yourselves in today. Retirement's a hard word to find in the Bible. Just think about the difference it would make in your own life to know that you are doing what God created you to do. How many of you have heard the names Bezalel and Aholiab? I'm not seeing a lot of hands. That's okay. You may not be too familiar with them, but they experienced exactly this kind of calling. In Exodus 31, God's speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, the the way that God intends for life to work best. And he gives also the instructions for building the tabernacle, the focal point of Israelite worship following their exodus out of Egypt. And as God finishes telling Moses all these exact specifications. I mean, he tells them, use this kind of fabric here, use this kind of wood here, use gold to do this, and it should be exactly this long and this wide and this deep and all those things. And as God finishes telling Moses all these exact specifications, he says in chapter uh, 31, beginning in verse 2, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I have given the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. Talk about a calling, right? God himself tells Moses, who will go on to tell the people, this is exactly how I want you to create the place where my very spirit is going to dwell in your midst. Oh, and by the way, these two guys, they're going to get it done. It's their job. It's their calling, their vocation to make it happen. I know there have been a few times in my life where I'd have wished that God would have spoken that clearly to me about what he wanted me to do. Discipleship is about learning to follow Jesus. Jesus. And the focus was never meant to be on getting more people in a pew on Sunday morning or even in a Bible study uh, throughout the week. The goal is for people to experience the kind of whole life transformation that makes a difference in the way we live our lives from Sunday all the way through Saturday. A life that draws people into a relationship with God because there's no divide between the secular and the sacred. Our work is meant to be an extension of God's work in the world. Now, I just want to be clear that this idea of vocational discipleship, it's not just about giving career advice to people, helping people to find a profession where they feel happy and fulfilled. Do we want people to feel happy and fulfilled? Absolutely. But the best way to accomplish that is by orienting our lives, our work included, toward Jesus and his calling for us. It's about finding our identity in our intimacy with Jesus and letting him lead us into the work he has for us. It's about using cultural discernment and allowing scripture to redefine for us what success is looks like, and it's about getting close enough to people in meaningful intergenerational relationships that we can speak into their lives and they can speak into our lives about the gifts that God has given us and how we can use them to accomplish the call that God has placed on our lives. As a church, we've got to talk about these ideas with our kids from a young age, And even more than just talking about them, we've got to live out these ideas in our lives. We want them to know. We want you guys to know. Your faith and what you want to do when you grow up, they're inseparable. It matters. We want you to know that you were made to be creators not just consumers, because you were made in the image of a creating God. We want you to be able to help other people figure out who God made them to be because someone in this group took time to help you figure out who God made you to be. The evidence is clear that the most resilient Christians are stronger when we connect our discipleship and our vocation. They live more integrated lives. They understand at a deeper, more essential level that God cares about what they do with every aspect of their lives. We were created to bear the image of God in our working in the world, creating beauty, cultivating abundance. Generating order. God has called us not only to a relationship with him, but to participation with him in the work that he is doing in the world. The same Holy Spirit that came with wind and fire on the day of Pentecost, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, now empowers us, the followers of Jesus, with the gifts that we need to to play the role in strengthening the body and reaching the world. So friends, here's the question for us today. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a resilient disciple who can remain faithful in the face of cultural coercion in a place like Digital Babylon. I want to be a resilient disciple who lives a vibrant life in the spirit. I want to be someone that God can say, this is what I want you to do, and I'll go do it. Who's he calling you to be?